I'd like to invite the children to come forward, and if you're joining us online, you can draw a little closer to your screen. Come on down. Good morning, it's good to see all of you today. I wanna tell you a story this morning. When I was a kid, I have a younger brother, and we didn't always get along. Sometimes he would kind of get on my nerves, and I could be really mean to him. Sometimes I would poke at him. Sometimes I would hide some of his favorite toys. That wasn't very nice, was it? Sometimes I would call him mean names. And when my mom would hear about me doing those things, she would say to me, say you're sorry. And I would say, sorry. But I didn't always really mean it. And sometimes I did mean it, but at the next day or a few days later, he would start getting on my nerves again and I would start being mean again. Well, one day I had a thought. And that thought was, I wonder how he feels when I'm mean to him. And I felt kind of sad because I would feel terrible if he treated me that way. And so I went to him and I said, I'm sorry. And you know what? I meant it. And I tried not to be mean to him anymore. I, I didn't always succeed at it. Sometimes I was mean even when I didn't mean to be mean or didn't want to be mean, but I was better about not being quite as mean. And you know what? I had to try every day, but I learned that I really actually liked my brother. He was pretty cool. We were very different, but he's a pretty cool guy. And I'm so thankful that I was able to say sorry and mean it and try not to hurt him anymore. Would you pray with me? God, thank you that you forgive us when we say we're sorry. Thank you that others forgive us when we say we're sorry. Help us to treat others with love and kindness each and every day. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all for coming down. If you are three, four, or five, you can go with Miss Katie to Children's Church. If not, you can go back to your seats and be with your family and friends. Would you pray with me? Oh God, may the words that I speak and the thoughts that we think be acceptable to you, for you are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. If you happen to notice the sermon title this morning, I need to give credit to Pastor Maggie. She had the idea of, well, she kind of joked about it. She wasn't serious, but she was joking about having the call to worship start out with, happy Advent, you brood of vipers. And of course, she knew that wouldn't really be appropriate, so she didn't do that, but I still thought it would be a fun sermon title. After all, nothing quite brings out Christmas cheer like being called a nest of poisonous snakes. Of course, I don't think that Christmas cheer is exactly what John the Baptist is going for in today's text. The great preacher Barbara Brown Taylor calls him the Doberman Pinscher of the Gospels. 
She says he always appears right before Christmas when no one's defenses are up. Here we are trying to get to the stable in Bethlehem when all of a sudden this big old dog with a spiky collar got, has us got by the ankle. Before he's through, our heads are pounding with vipers and wrath, axes and unquenchable fire when all we really wanted was a chance to sing, Oh Holy Night. I have to admit, I agree with Taylor. If I was trying to be diplomatic about it, I might say that John's preaching style is a bit off-putting. If I had encountered him by the Jordan River, I would not have wanted to stick around to hear what he had to say. He kind of reminds me of those people who stand on street corners with megaphones preaching as people walk by. I don't know about you, but when I see those folks, I usually avert my eyes and keep on walking. They're a bit fanatical and I just don't wanna to get too close. Who knows what might happen? But that's not just, it's not just John's style of preaching that I find off-putting. It's also the content of his message. I don't want to think about judgment or repentance, especially this time of year. I don't want to dwell on all of the ways that I've failed as a human being, all the ways that I've hurt others and myself, all the ways that I've disappointed God. That just brings up a bucket load of shame. And I don't want to deal with that stuff, not right now. Where's the Christmas cheer? John's message is one I'd rather not hear. Yet despite all of this, despite his gruff fire and brimstone style of preaching, his message about judgment and repentance, John's preaching must have really been compelling to some people. After all, crowds gathered around him. They didn't just avert their eyes and keep walking, they actually came to him seeking baptism. So what is it? about John's message that is so captivating. Author Kathleen Norris tells the story of inviting a group of children into a writing project. She says, one boy wrote a poem called The Monster Who Was Sorry. He began by admitting that he hates it when his father yells at him. His response in the poem is to throw his sister down the stairs and then wreck his room and then finally wreck the whole town. The poem concludes, then I sit in my messy house and say to myself, I shouldn't have done all of that. Norris reflects, my messy house says it all. With more honesty than most adults could have mustered, the boy made a metaphor for himself and admitted the depth of his rage and also gave him a way out. If that boy had been a novice in the fourth century monastic desert, Norris says, his elders might have told him that he was well on the way toward repentance. Not such a monster after all, but only human. If the house is messy, they might have said, why not clean it up? Why not make it into a place where God might wish to dwell? There's a Greek word for cleaning up the messy house, and it's called metanoia. It means a transformative change of heart. One commentator describes it as a mental and spiritual U-turn, 
a complete 180 from the ways that we have previously lived. In other words, it's a new way of being in the world, a way of thinking and acting that's drastically different from our previous patterns. And that, for John the Baptist, is true repentance. It's not about wallowing in our shame or guilt. It's about being honest with our lives and then making a change. It's not just about saying we're sorry. It's about living out our sorry with our lives. And I wonder if that's what the crowds found so compelling about John. He was inviting them to clean up the messy house, to make a mental and spiritual U-turn. John was inviting them into metanoia, a new way of being that would put them on the path of salvation. As we were talking about all of this in the Tuesday morning Bible study this week, I mentioned that I often think of this kind of transformation, this metanoia, in grand terms, like the person who has this lightning bolt experience and then suddenly everything is different forever. And that's great when it happens that way. But David St. Clair, who attends the study, suggested that perhaps more often, metanoia happens in those daily choices that we make over and over again to turn away from our selfishness and our greed and our dishonesty. He said it reminded him of that old Quaker tune, Simple Gifts. When true simplicity is gained, goes the song, to bow and to bend, we won't be ashamed. To turn, turn, will be our delight, till by turning, turning, we come round right. Bear fruit worthy of repentance, John says. And when the crowds ask what they should do, he gives them specific examples of what that fruit will look like in their lives. Whoever has two coats must share with one who has one who has none. And whoever has food should do likewise. If you're a tax collector, don't collect more money than the amount prescribed. And if you're a soldier, don't extort money by threats or false accusations. Be satisfied with your wages. But what does that look like in our lives? What should we do? Where might we make a U-turn so that we can be on that path of salvation? And are we willing to do it each and every day, over and over again? Some questions to ponder. Sojourner's editor Jim Rice suggests that most people see John's call to a transformed life as an indictment. And most see his mandate for treating the poor justly as, at best, an unpleasant chore. But, he says, John's call to repentance should be seen for what it is, an invitation to salvation, the fruit of relationship with the Holy One coming into our midst. When we respond to this invitation with a joyful spirit, he says, we may help contribute not only to a transformed world, but to our own liberation. And that, I think, 
is the most compelling thing of all. This idea that we don't walk the path of salvation in isolation, but that our liberation is connected to the transformation of the world. Suzanne Simard is a professor of forest ecology at the University of British Columbia. What Simard has discovered over years of research is how deeply connected trees are to one another in forest systems. Many scientists used to think of trees in isolation. One tree grows up, maybe it drops some seeds to start other trees, but generally it lives life on its own. And if there are other trees nearby, they must compete for resources, or so the traditional thinking went. But Samard instead found that webs of roots and fungi underneath the ground link almost every tree in the forest, even across different species. They pass carbon and water and nutrients and hormones to each other. They even give alarm signals to one another through this underground web. And resources tend to flow from the oldest and largest trees to the youngest and smallest trees. In fact, seedlings that are cut off from that underground web are much more likely to die than trees that are deeply connected with other trees. The health of one tree is dependent upon the health of every other tree in the forest. And perhaps humans aren't so different. I can't think of a more prime example than the pandemic. I don't know about you, but I have never been more aware of how interconnected we are than over these past two years. We've seen how sickness in one person can have a ripple effect, and not just in terms of spread of disease, but in how our hospital systems and our schools and our businesses and even our churches function. And even when we are socially distanced from one another, we don't live our lives in total isolation. We are connected to one another. We depend on others, and others depend on us. And so we don't walk the path of salvation in isolation either. Our transformation our metanoia is intrinsically connected with the transformation of the world. Our liberation is deeply connected to the liberation of others. When we turn away from our selfishness, our greed, our dishonesty, we're able to turn toward the hurting and the marginalized and the vulnerable with curiosity and compassion and care. When we turn away from those things that separate us from others and cause harm, we're able to turn toward relationships that are rooted in justice and righteousness. And in doing so, we help the world come round right. But it doesn't end there. Because through our repentance, we also find ourselves even more deeply rooted in the one who created us. In their book, The First Christmas, scholars Marcus Board and John Dominic Crossan point out that in the Old Testament, the verb for repent 
is deeply shaped by the Jewish experience of exile, of being in a far-off place, of being in the wilderness. And repentance is also connected to the prophetic call to prepare the way of the Lord, this thing that John the Baptist is doing. One pastor reflects that to repent, then, means to return from exile to the place of God's presence. It means following the prepared way that leads out of our separation and estrangement back into reconnection with the one who made us and loves us beyond our comprehension. Friends, our loving God invites us day after day to repent, to make a U-turn, to do the work of cleaning up that metaphorical messy house. Not because God wants us to feel shame about our humanity and the ways that we've fallen short, but because God wants to liberate us from those things that create separation and harm. You see, our collective transformation, our collective liberation, our collective salvation are all wrapped up in God's desire to dwell with us, to be with us. And so it is that love came down at Christmas. So, perhaps before we sing, O Holy Night, we should take the advice of John the Baptist. Let us repent and turn. Let us follow the path of salvation, because our transformation opens our hearts and our minds to the needs of the world. And ultimately, that creates space in our hearts to receive the coming Messiah. Is it Christmas cheer? Maybe not in the popular sense, but I believe that it is really, really, really good news. Thanks be to God. Amen.